New video of an altercation involving Vancouver police. Oh, I caught that on video, man. Allegations of excessive force already investigated and now getting a second look. The hooded suspect in a Kelowna shooting, the attempted murder of Kyle Giannis, and the surprising link to the murder of innocent victim Paul Bennett. And urban wildfires too close for comfort. Today's in mission and what started yesterday's in Stanley Park. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The Vancouver Police Department is reacting after some video has come to light showing an officer shoving a man to the ground. The incident happened last fall, and police say they were cleared in the ensuing investigation. But as Catherine Urquhart shows us, this new evidence could give the case a second look. It's a troubling video that demands some answers. A social media post on TikTok shows several Vancouver police officers questioning a woman. Then a man walks over and one of the officers suddenly shoves him to the ground. Oh, I caught that on video, man. Another officer then approaches the person shooting this video. It's evidence. Okay, get your hands off me. Well, it's evidence, so. Get your hands right, off you me. You have evidence, so can you, would you please stop and provide me with that evidence? It's very disturbing, right, when you see like such an escalated act happen. A use of force investigation was conducted. According to Vancouver Police, this incident was investigated last fall by the OPCC and was concluded unsubstantiated. This video came to our attention this weekend, and so we have now sent the video back to the OPCC for further review. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner responded, the video may constitute new evidence that did not form part of the original investigation. The OPCC is currently reviewing the investigation in light of the video provided today and will determine what, if any, further steps are required under the Police Act. Vancouver police say they won't comment further on the incident as it's now being reviewed. Police aren't revealing the extent of their original investigation, nor are they saying if all of the officers at the scene were interviewed. Also unclear what efforts were made to obtain a copy of the video or if the OPCC even knew that it existed. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. RCMP have just released video of a suspect in an attempted gang hit in Kelowna over the weekend. They've also confirmed that a suspected bomb found at the scene was real and could have caused some serious damage. Ramina Dea shows us now how one of the victims was the intended target of a shooting three years ago that killed innocent man Paul Bennett. Kelowna RCMP now on the hunt for this suspect, captured on camera bolting from the scene of Saturday's shooting. We're hoping that the rather distinctive gait that you can see in that video, as well as the clothing description, might lead someone to be able to identify that person. It was still light out when gunfire erupted after 6 p.m. in a very busy section of the city in the height of tourism season. The Mounties now confirming the suspected bomb recovered from the scene was real. If it had gone off that night, it would have uh, had the potential to seriously injure the people in that area. So that's, as far as we're concerned, a very marked increase in the violence uh, going on 
uh, in this area. It's quite outside of our norm. We're kind of trying to enjoy this time in a positive manner. 37-year-old Kyle Giannis, seen here in a global news story from last year, was one of two men shot Saturday. Both survived. It was the fourth attempt on Giannis's life since 2017. Global News has independently confirmed a report by Vancouver Sun crime reporter Kim Bolin that Giannis was the target of a gang hit three years ago, which claimed the life of an innocent man. I'm Paul, and this is the video laparoscope. 47-year-old Paul Bennett, an operating room nurse, minor hockey coach, and devoted father of two, was shot to death in his Surrey driveway in June 2018 in a case of mistaken identity. Bennett's killer has not been caught. It's hard to watch your husband die in front of your eyes. The killing of an innocent person, a grave concern for Kelowna Mounties as the violence escalates. The RCMP leaning on the public for dash cam footage as they attempt to identify the suspect who fled in a light-colored SUV. Romina Dea, Global News. All right, we've got some breaking news to pass along right now. A major condo fire in Surrey right now. Take a look. This is a live shot from Global One. The building is at 138th Street and 70th Avenue, and it appears the fire is spread to three units of the complex. The building is occupied, and residents have been evacuated and are down the street. No word on how the fire started, but as details come in, we'll pass them along to you, and we thank Global One for that shot. And we'll check in with Trish for traffic a little bit later. But right now, three units of that condo complex are on fire in Surrey. All right, the new Surrey Police Service has set a date for when it plans to have actual boots on the ground. The first group of 40 to 50 officers will be deployed on or before November 30th. They'll be assigned positions within the Surrey RCMP as part of the transition process. More officers will be brought throughout 2022 and 2023 with a full contingent of around 700 officers expected by early 2024. The SPS has been actively recruiting for several months now. We are recruiting experienced police officers. We will be recruiting uh, new police officers, but right now I can tell you that uh, the applications are rolling in and uh, we're going through the process of uh, selecting and uh, we've got some outstanding candidates. The transition process has been agreed to by the Surrey Police Service, Public Safety Canada, the province and the city of Surrey. The upward trend in B.C.'s COVID-19 numbers continues following the B.C. day-long weekend. Remember, we have four days of data to report here. There are 742 new cases in total. That breaks down to 160 Friday, 196 Saturday, 185 Sunday and 201 Monday. We have 1,544 active cases. 53 people are in hospital. 19 of those patients are in the ICU. Sadly, one more person has died from complications of the virus. And on the vaccination front, 81.4% of people 12 and older have received one dose of vaccine. 67.2% have received both doses. More than half of those new infections we talked about are in the interior health region. And with about one-third of the province still not fully vaccinated, the province is pulling out all the stops to make getting that shot as easy as possible. 
And as Shelby Tom reports, tomorrow all vaccine clinics across B.C. are offering walk-in doses to anyone who wants one. Residents and visitors to the central Okanagan are masking up, and it's not only because of the smoke. The reintroduced regional mask mandate, a cautionary tale of what can happen when COVID-19 cases surge among unvaccinated people. We're going to see coming out of this weekend, more than half of the cases in the, pro in the province being in interior health and the most and the largest part of those cases being in the central Okanagan. We are um, seeing the cases in that younger age group, 20 to 40. According to Interior Health, 95% of new cases in the central Okanagan are among people who are not fully immunized against COVID-19. So the health authority is also decreasing the interval between first and second doses from 49 days to 28 days. The interior is lagging behind with 75% of eligible people receiving a first dose compared to 81.4% BC wide. A mobile drop-in immunization clinic is being held downtown at the Kelowna Yacht Club. We were looking at a clinic that would be more accessible for this younger uh, age group demographic where we're seeing more cases um, and certainly trying to make it more accessible for workers um, in the service industry who are downtown. A province-wide vaccination blitz called Walk-In Wednesday will see 20,000 doses reserved for walk-in patients at all vaccine clinics across BC. If you work in the service industry, if you work in the community, if you work uh, or you ever want to travel outside of uh, Canada, um, it's time to get vaccinated. Infectious disease experts say the new vaccine push could prove effective. This vaccine Wednesday, these vaxathons, making the vaccine available in various locations where we know unvaccinated people would tend to go right now. I think this is going to be part of the solution. The highly transmissible Delta variant is driving the Okanagan spike and Dr. Brian Conway says studies show a double dose offers up to 80% protection. Shelby Tom, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on our numbers. Um, obviously, nobody likes to see anything in the 700s, <laughs> even if it is four mm -hmm. days. What should we be reading into this, Keith? Yeah, very interesting now to take a look at the active cases. And they've really shot up in number in a relatively short period of time. And as Shelby Tom reported, the lion's share of them in one particular region of the province. So take a look at what's happened in just 11 days in terms of our active case numbers. They have absolutely exploded. Huge growth, 847 now in interior. That's a 55% of the total. 348 cases in Fraser Health. A Vancouver Coastal with more than 200. And again, we're seeing a significant uptick in Vancouver Island and now the north. Likely the Delta variant. CDC control uh, website last week suggested that 100% of the cases on Vancouver Island are now considered the Delta variant, the most transmissible and uh, worrisome variant of all. So the numbers could start to increase in other health authorities as well. But right now, interior is the biggest concern. There's relatively low vaccination uh, rates in a number of towns there. That's why you're seeing that big push uh, talked about by Adrian Dix today about uh, the big push to get those people, particularly younger people in their 20s and 30s, with at least the first dose. And there's going to be an earnest effort to do that uh, this, this week, starting in the interior and the north. And hopefully we'll be tracking it throughout the week, and hopefully those numbers increase significantly. But sadly, those active case numbers are going to continue to go up each and every day this week. Walk in Wednesday tomorrow. Let's hope it has a mm -hmm. big impact. All right. Yeah. Thanks very much, Keith.
Some scary moments for Mission residents with a wildfire practically out the back door. It sparked up quickly in a nearby park but got instant attention from BC wildfire crews before it got out of control. That and the cause of the recent Stanley Park fire next on the News Hour. The satellite tag rescue, what it took to free a gray whale entangled in fishing gear off the coast. Later on the news hour, also a pooch pulled from a house fire and what firefighters did to bring it back coming up on the news hour as well. Right now, though, another sign of the tinder dry conditions in the lower mainland with crews quickly tackling a wildfire in a mission park today. A BC Wildfire Service helicopter dousing the blaze in Heritage Park near the Fraser River. The Wildfire Service was called in after Mission Fire discovered a small fire in the park just before noon. It's now under control and no one was heard. The city of Mission says people living in more than 60 homes around Tule Place and Prentice Avenue had to leave immediately. They are now allowed to return home, but they have to stay under an evacuation alert overnight. I did maybe one pass with the lawnmower, and next thing you know, there's three RCMP, and they're basically saying, uh, prepare to be evacuated. And I was like, what? Yeah, very scary, because um, we hear all about smoke in Kelowna, and over there, then I thought, it'll, we're gonna, once it starts, it's not going to stop. The park will remain closed for the next 24 hours, if not longer, while the cause of that fire is investigated. And conditions in Stanley Park continue to be extremely dry. Officials today reminding the public of the province-wide fire ban after crews responded to two fires in the park in recent days. And as Grace Key reports, they also have a message for people lighting up in our beloved park. Despite the extreme fire risk at Stanley Park, Carelessly discarded cigarettes are to blame for two fires over the long weekend. One happened at 5 p.m. Monday near Trailhead, and luckily, firefighters were able to quickly put out the flames. Everybody needs to play a role, right? Our community needs to be a role. People cannot smoke in our parks. They cannot have open flames. And even if you're smoking on our streets and in your community, do not just toss your cigarettes or your cigarette butts. They need to be extinguished properly. The fires occurred just days after the park board took the unprecedented step of temporarily closing the park overnight. There's concern fewer people would notice and report a fire if one were to break out at night. Despite all the measures, there's still frustration. Staff is doing a good job by shutting the park down at night, trying to, you know, avoid this. But uh, I guess, you know, if people are smoking and being careless during the day, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty hard, you know, barring just saying we'll have to shut the park down, which probably won't work. You know, what, like, what do you, what do you do? In addition to the closure, signs are out educating the public about the fire danger. And still, Vancouver firefighters have responded to 23 fires at Stanley Park since June. If it continues to be dry like this, we'll probably redeploy some of our existing staff, our public educators and our inspectors, and have them redeploy to our parks uh, with the rangers uh, for messaging. Park rangers also responded to a pit fire at Stanley Park over the weekend, and people are being reminded that pit fires, smoking, and barbecues are not allowed at any Vancouver park or beach. Grace Key, Global News. Wildfire crews have managed a week of steady progress battling huge fires across the province. However, visibility because of smoky conditions remains an issue in many regions. One of the most aggressive fires is still the White Rock Lake fire burning west of Vernon. 
Global's Megan Turcato has more on the firefight there and how some are stepping up to help. The more than 32,000 hectare wildfire has triggered evacuation alerts and orders in five different jurisdictions. So when the O'Keefe Ranch near Vernon announced it could host evacuees' animals, it got a major response. It's hitting pretty close to home, so it's nice to be able to do this. The historic ranch, normally a tourist attraction, is currently hosting hundreds of animals belonging to evacuees. We are trying to have someone on site and available to receive anyone coming in. Um, the last couple of nights, we've actually had somebody here uh, all night uh, manning the front gate. Um, and so that, that's what we're trying to do. I don't th know if we'd be able to pull it off 24 hours a day, but a good portion of the time. So if you don't know what to do or you're feeling nervous, you're welcome to come stop in. Meanwhile, the firefight continues. BC Wildfire Service says the blaze is active all around the fire perimeter, but right now no structures are threatened. We do have quite a large structure protection branch. Um, we've been ramping that up over the past 48 hours. So currently we have 110 structure protection personnel um, working along the east flank, up in the north by Monty Lake, Falkland area through that corridor. Um, they're also working along West Side Road. The blanket of smoke that had grounded air support also lifted somewhat on Tuesday clearing the way for helicopters to take to the sky. That'll really help our operational personnel get a better idea just how far that southern perimeter did grow and whether or not it crossed anywhere along the Whiteman Creek Forest Service Road. And that'll help us forward plan to see where we can put those next containment lines in to, to gain some control in that area. Back at the ranch, they have room to accept more animals if things get worse, leaving residents with one less thing to worry about as they watch the fire news and wait. McIntercato, Global News. Flights are starting to resume at Kelowna International Airport after more than 50 were cancelled over the past couple of days. The planes were grounded because the White Rock Lake wildfire moved east to Okanagan Lake, creating a no-fly zone. Over the last 24 hours, we worked collaboratively with NAV Canada and the BC Wildfire Service as well as Transport Canada to move the eastern boundary of the no-fly zone about three, three nautical miles to the west, and that's allowed us to re-establish the instrument approaches uh, into the runway from the north. Because that boundary was re-established late last night, airlines had already cancelled some flights scheduled for today, but all flights should be fully operational by tomorrow, at least for the time being. Officials warn the, file, uh, the wildfires could stop flights again at any time. It's really a very dynamic situation now, really day-to-day. -day. Should the White Rock Lake fire continue to grow and BC Wildfire have to move that boundary back to the east, we could be in the same situation as we were on Sunday where we could see uh, cancellations of the incident approaches. The flight cancellations have created a backlog of about 8,000 passengers. Both Air Canada and WestJet are adding additional flights to get everyone rebooked as quickly as possible. Up next, tonight's rally against hate. I don't understand what you're saying. The gathering inspired by this confrontation in a Surrey park. And so many impaired drivers, Victoria police ran out of tow trucks. A rally is about to get underway in Surrey's Aspen Park in support of a group of grandmothers and children who say they were the victims of a racially motivated attack. Global's Imad Agahi is live with more on tonight's gathering. An Imad video of the confrontation was disturbing to watch, and it's been shared thousands of times on social media. 
there are a few sides to this, Chris, and today I'm hearing from the Surrey RCMP who gave me an insight into their investigation into what may have happened before or during that video that you mentioned is being shared uh, from Wednesday here at Aspen Park. Here's the video. How dare you kick it in their face? Now, the family who feels victimized by an alleged racist rant is accusing a couple of throwing garbage at them and yelling racist slurs. It is difficult to clearly see what is happening in the video, but at one point, a man is heard yelling, speak English. Now, Global News has also spoken to the couple alleged of that behavior who denies throwing any garbage and says uh, since that video is posted online, they've received threats. They fear losing their job. We're also hearing that they may have temporarily relocated. But now, according to police, uh, they say they have spoken to both sides and there was never any garbage thrown directly at the family. However, they are condemning the couple's behavior there. The behavior of this couple is unexcusable. There is no place for that in our society. And it's upsetting that these kids, these elderly females, were subjected to this type of behavior. We don't condone it. One attack on one racialized person is an attack to all of us who are racialized. And we will stand with you to fight with you until the day that our children and our grandchildren do not have to fear at night going to bed thinking, I cannot visit my favorite park anymore because I'm worried about some racist people is going to yell at me. Now, the family who says they were uh, victimized by this alleged racist rant is also accusing uh, the RCMP officer who was responding to the incident of making them pick up the garbage at issue. But the RCMP has denied that as well. They say they're still investigating the police, too. And from my conversation with the RCMP, it didn't seem likely that charges we're upcoming here. Now, an anti-racism rally has started behind me. A lot of people want to uh, come by and show support to this family and say that whatever happened under any circumstances was not okay. Chris. I think a lot of people would agree with that. All right, thanks very much, Ahmad. Victoria police say it caught so many drivers suspected to be under the influence over the weekend, it had to shut down its impaired driving roadblock. Vic PD says 24 motorists were ticketed on Friday and Saturday nights for being impaired, 15 of them on Saturday alone, when officers had to shut down a roadblock on Yates and Wharf Streets. That's because officers were too busy handling both the traffic and the number of people who were driving when they shouldn't have. We only have so many officers that we can staff a roadblock with. Uh, at a certain point, there's a, quite an administrative backload that occurs when you are uh, enforcing the motor vehicle act to that extent. Uh, in addition to that, there were no more tow trucks available because of the number of vehicles that we had seized. Just ahead, what may be the most difficult job in the world? We're dealing with a different virus now than we were several months ago. The man trying to convince Americans to get the COVID shot and how he says politics are scrambling the message. Also tonight, a gray whale gets a helping hand from BC rescuers.
Good evening. Once again, above this major structure fire in Surrey, it's got 70th Avenue blocked completely to all traffic between 138th and 140th Avenue with plenty of emergency crews on scene. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and creators at your local Henry's about the best gear for streaming, podcasting, and video content. Visit henrys.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a structure fire in Surrey. As Canada continues to make some progress in the pandemic, it's a vastly different story in the United States. American cases are going in the wrong direction, with roughly 100 million eligible residents still opting against the vaccine. And the country's top infectious disease expert warning things will only get worse. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. In the last month alone, the U.S. has seen its daily infection rates rise by a staggering 500 percent. It's a disheartening stat for public health officials still working to overpower a persistent resistance to the vaccine, given how different this virus now behaves. With regard to Delta, wherever Delta has been, it invariably is so efficient in transmitting from person to person that it always seems to push out the other variants and become dominant. Dr. Anthony Fauci tells Global News he's disappointed in the lack of enthusiasm for the vaccine and at how misinformation has left millions of people vulnerable. But he's also critical of how politics is playing a role, not just in protection, but mitigation. Masks are being recommended once again in hotspots, some of which are controlled by governors who have banned them, which could drive outbreaks when school resumes. We need to be all pulling together and not have somebody make a decision about a public health matter based on political ideology. 17 states have protected less than half their populations, and that includes Louisiana, where the state's largest hospital system is out of beds. To drive home the importance of vaccines, the federal government and some cities are mandating them for employees, with New York now going a step further. Proof of vaccine will be required to do routine things like dining out or going to a gym. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. You're going to see universities, colleges, places of business that are going to require vaccination. Once that happens, you're going to start seeing getting more people vaccinated. In states with the highest rates of transmission, the increased threat has led to a wave of new vaccinations as political and health leaders work to make being unvaccinated a burden while underscoring the risk to everyone. You can see Dr. Fauci's full interview at globalnews.ca. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Trying to get teens to do chores can often feel like heavy lifting. So at what age should children start helping around the house? As Global's Kendra Slagoski reports, and I hope my son is watching, the earlier the better. At the King household, no one gets a free ride. Chores are expected of 13-year-old Owen and his younger brother Alex. It's a group effort in our house. They jokingly call it child labor, (laughs) but uh, it's, I think it's quite fair and they've never really complained. The boys started young, feeding the cats, then worked up to bigger tasks. Now their to-do list includes sweeping and emptying the dishwasher along with a couple other dreaded chores. The lunch making and them doing their own laundry has really helped. It's one less load a week 
of laundry and they do all the folding and putting away and everything. So I don't touch it at all. Lisa has a system, one her boys can't forget. Owen, born on the 27th, does his chores on odd days. Alex, born on the 20th, does even days. I was tired of the fights over here. Well, I did this and you did that. By about five or six, they should be contributing to the home. Tracy Vinecourt is a researcher in school-based mental health. She says age-appropriate chores translate to academic success. But over the past 20 years, she says studies show our children are doing less. Convincing a teen to start helping will be tough. You're going to have a huge pushback. So best to start early. Um, and for those who didn't start at all and are trying to get their teenager to do it, um, good luck. Just keep at it. For the Kings, a clean house is a happy house and a way to set the boys up for their future. They'll be able to take care of themselves once they leave home. Kendra Slagoski, Global News. Still ahead, a rescue on the B.C. coast. It's going to recover from this and it'll, it'll be fine, which is fantastic. How satellite technology helped marine experts save this gray whale. And a four-legged fire victim saved with the loving help of firefighters. If you missed it earlier, we have been following some breaking news in Surrey right now. Crews battling a fairly major condo fire. We'll give you a look from Global One right now, our chopper above it. The building is located at 138th Street and 70th Avenue. The building was occupied at the time the fire broke out. Residents have all been evacuated and are down the street in a safe location right now. We have no word yet on how this fire started, but our Trish Jewison, as always, is in Global One right now. And Trish, you've been above this for about half an hour, 40 minutes. What have you seen? How have things progressed since you've been up there watching? Yes, thanks, Chris. Yes, uh, we, we started just seeing a tendril of smoke from about five kilometers away, and it moved from one unit to two, and now it looks like at least three units are on fire at the moment with plenty of emergency crews on scene. Uh, what's changed in the last few minutes is that there are some firefighters on the roof now. So that says to me, I mean, I'm no expert, but hopefully it's structurally sound still. And as you mentioned, yes, there are lots of people around. Uh, everybody's been evacuated. They are all standing down the street, sort of, I guess, waiting to see what's going to become of their homes at the moment. Back to you, Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Trish. We just got some new details in from Surrey Fire. Apparently, there are 33 firefighters on scene right now battling that condo fire. Uh, you'll see the aerial assets and the ladder truck spraying water from a distance. There are also firefighters inside the building trying to attack it from the inside. They are asking people to avoid the area uh, as much as possible. So uh, again, we'll stay on top of this, get more details for you on our later broadcasts, but that's the situation right now. Not sure how it started or whether anybody was trapped inside, but right now most of the residents are at a safe location. Now to some incredible video of a whale being rescued on Vancouver Island after it was tangled up in fishing gear for several days. As Kylie Stanton reports, a piece of technology helped crews track down the mammal in distress before it was too late. With something so large, this is the vantage point that's needed to take it all in. In this case, a two-year-old gray whale in a whole lot of trouble. 
So the animal was entangled in a salmon gill net that had been fishing at night. And unfortunately, the whale was in the same location and became wrapped up around the tailstock. The whale broke free, but took more than 60 feet of gill net with it. What would be a death sentence had this team not been there to help. If an animal does get entangled, we're there. We're kind of the last resort to be able to remove the gear. It may sound simple, but this rescue turned into a five-day ordeal. The initial call came in on July 27th near Uquat, but by the time the Marine Mammal Rescue Team responded, the whale had moved away from the area. There weren't any more sightings until July 29th in Esperanza Inlet when the animal was spotted by a fisherman. We spent about three or four hours working with the animal and removing quite a bit of gear, but unfortunately we ran out of time. They had managed to put a satellite tag on the gear and prepared to finish the job the next day. But the whale had other plans. He went about 30 miles offshore overnight. Finally, on July 31st, it came into Brooks Peninsula, giving the team another chance. Four hours later, after making several strategic cuts, it was down to the final lead line. And we could see when I cut through that the, the meshes just peeled off and the animal uh, sensed it was free and it just took off. Uh, and you could tell big sense of relief for the animal, and we were a big sense of relief for us as well. The team was able to retrieve all of the gill net, every piece of rope and mesh, giving the whale that's part of a small subgroup of West Coast gray whales a chance at a full recovery. Drone technology now also playing a big role, making the rescues safer not only for the team, but the animals as well. We'll go in and get this great footage to look at how the gear is entangled on the animal so we know what we're getting into. With a success rate of roughly 95%, you'd think the team would be used to this. But watching a whale swim free, knowing it has a chance to thrive, just keeps getting better. It's the best part of my job. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Satisfying day at the office, no doubt. All right, another rescue to tell you about. Vancouver firefighters are being praised for their efforts to save a dog that was rescued from a house fire over the weekend. Firefighters found a seven-month-old lab in the basement of the home on East 60th Avenue Saturday. They brought the unconscious animal outside and quickly went to work administering oxygen through a dog mask they have and treated some of the lab's minor burns. The dog was brought to a vet in pretty rough shape, but is expected to survive. Great to see. All right, we'll check in with Christy right now and a look ahead to the weather. Christy? Thanks, Chris. So the air quality uh, health advisory has been has ended for the Metro Vancouver region. I wanted to show you the air quality health index, though, right now. It uh, does show that we are seeing a little bit of an elevated uh, air quality uh, health concern across our region, but it's mainly from fires just south of us, and it's very at a low, moderate level, as you can see there. Big improvement, though, in through Kamloops and through the North Okanagan today, and we're going to continue to see improvement as we head into tomorrow. We're going to see a lot more dispersion into Alberta, We'll still see some haze across Metro Vancouver, so we may be in that low to moderate level for air quality, but overall improvements expected in the coming days, especially as we continue with this westerly flow that we've been advertising. So it starts Thursday evening for the South Coast region, Friday for the interior, and then it's one thing after another over the next few days as several systems roll in across the southern BC region. At the very least, cloud and cooler conditions are going to help the scenario, and certainly that rainfall uh, will not... Um, 
will not hurt it either. Now, there's the one last day, though, of hot, sunny conditions, a risk of thunderstorms in the interior, and for our region, highs of 30 degrees away from the water tomorrow, but then by Thursday evening, we'll start to see a few showers across the region, and we'll likely see that into Monday. Here's tonight's central windows weather window, and this is from the Caribou region yesterday when we had a number of severe thunderstorms, and the hail that came down was large, as you can see here, about an inch uh, in diameter. Mm. Yeah, big chunks. You wouldn't want to be standing under that. Thanks very much, Christy. You will want to be in the stands, though, when the Whitecaps play at home August 21st uh, with a new addition in the lineup, perhaps. Yes, and the new Whitecap, of course, is in town. Ryan Gold is in Vancouver after a rather long courtship. Long time coming, but um, thankfully the day came and I'm delighted to be here. We don't know when he'll play yet, but when he does, he will be the Caps' main man in the midfield. Exciting. Also, BC's D-Day hero honored on his 100th birthday. What he remembers about landing on Juneau Beach and the surprise party to mark the milestone coming up. Game time coming up quick for the BC Lions Choir. Yes, and we should mention again that all the Lions games this year will be on AM 730, so tune in for that. Okay, so BC Lions quarterback Michael Riley has been dealing with a sore elbow the last few days as BC gets ready to open the season Friday in Saskatchewan, which I should say will allow full capacity, 33,350. Uh, Riley will dress for the game, I think, no matter what, but... Start the game? That's still unknown at this point. He hasn't done any reps in team drills this week, which is also a sign the Lions are trying to rest that elbow as much as possible. But if his elbow does not get any better, then the offense will be in the hands of rookie quarterback Nathan Rourke, a Canadian who won the backup job last week. And that was a bit of a surprise that he was given the number two spot. And as of right now, there's a chance he could have the number one spot on Friday. Well, over the years, the Vancouver Whitecaps have made big signings from Europe and South America. Some have worked out. Most, though, really haven't worked out as they hoped. The latest, of course, is Scottish midfielder Ryan Gold. Now, he is a player Vancouver has been after for quite a while, one where they outbid some European teams. He played in Portugal, where he was one of the best midfielders in that league at creating chances for his side. And that's something the Whitecaps desperately need him to do here as well be the field general but they don't want to put too much pressure on him and make his transition to MLS difficult. We don't want him to come here uh, with the pressure of being a kind of a savior because that doesn't exist uh, in, in soccer maybe you only have two saviors uh, and those two are not here. Yeah that's right we checked Ronaldo and Messi are nowhere near Vancouver. But Ryan Gold was once called the Scottish Messi when he was younger, which was a rather unfair nickname. Of course, he's not that, but he has shown a lot of improvement the last year. Improvement that erased any doubts the coach had about him. There was a huge change in the intensity of his game. I was very surprised by it. When my games came on the last the last couple of years, is um, my work rate, my, my intensity and... I'll be looking to bring that in um, as quickly as possible. The quest to sign Ryan Gold started all the way back in January of this year while he was still playing in Portugal. We had uh, 
uh, frustrating moments and exciting moments in throughout throughout the whole process. Um, but yeah, we hang in, we hang in, and we waited for it, and we we never gave up because uh, yes, he was top on our list. The Whitecaps were the first club to reach out to me um, and make it known, like I said, how much I was I was wanted here. So that's what played the the biggest part. It probably didn't hurt that the Whitecaps were also offering just under $3 million per season, but Gold said it wasn't about the dollars. I've never been one to make to make my decisions over money. Um, I've always thought there's more there's more to a career and more to life than than money. Um, so I'm hoping that the, the adjustment won't take too long and I'll be able to hit the ground running and be able to help out the team as soon as possible. Well, there's been a big change in the Canucks front office, but it won't affect hockey, hockey operations, although, well, no, I don't think it'll affect hockey operations. Trent Carroll is leaving the Canucks at the end of October. He'll be replaced by Michael Doyle, who's been around the Aquilini organization for years, both with the Canucks and uh, also running the restaurant and hospitality division. He has been one of the Canucks alternate governors the past three years. Should mention he used to play goal in the BCHL and the WHL at one time as well. Okay. And he came through. Kang Jin Ru. Six innings, two hits. Seven innings tonight, eight strikeouts for the Blue Jays. Nice change up right there. How about George Springer? Ever since Toronto moved back to Toronto, this guy's been red hot. Over the wall. Solo shot. Welcome to the neighborhood jacket. And then Teoscar Hernandez, same inning, same result. Well, actually, doubly good. That's a two-run homer. And at last check, the Jays are leading 7-2 in the bottom of the eighth inning. Among the Canadians at the Olympics last night and this morning, Cameron Rogers of Richmond finished fifth in the hammer throw. Now, she was in the lead briefly. It was her first Olympics, so look for her again in the next Olympics where she will likely be a medal contender. Our women's beach volleyball teams, though, both lost, which was a bit of a surprise. But what wasn't a surprise was the work of Andre de Grasse in the semifinals of the men's 200 meters. He was the fastest in the semis. Also set a new Canadian record on this run. So there's a very good chance he will medal again at these Olympics. Speaking of medals... China still on top with the most gold at 32. Canada right now, well, we're kind of stuck in that position, but we will get one for sure in the women's soccer final on Thursday, either a gold or a silver, hopefully a gold. What a game that'll be. And did it look like the grass decelerated before the finish line there? It looked like it Yes, it did. Could have gone faster, but you know what? Don't burn it all out in the semis. They don't hand out medals in the semis. Save your bullets. Yep. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Speaking of that, a centenarian soldier sharing vivid tales on his 100th birthday. Coming up next. This is BC with Jay Durant. Brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. This is BC with Jay Durant. Brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. It's a very special birthday for a remarkable man. John Swiddick landed on Juneau Beach on D-Day in 1944 and fought through till the end of the war. In today's This Is B.C., Jay Durant shows us how John marked today's major milestone in style. On the 11th hour of his 100th birthday, three planes from the Fraser Blues flew over John Swiddick's house in Langley. Pretty cool, eh? 
jeeps rolled in, an anti-tank gun was set up, military officials, neighbors, friends and family were all on hand. Sadly, the only person who wasn't there was John's late wife, Helen, who passed away just six months ago. She had always hoped this would happen on John's milestone birthday. She wanted a big party for his 100th. Oh, she'd be happy. Yeah. John was one of the Canadian soldiers who landed on Juneau Beach June 6, 1944. The next day, Swidick and his Regina Rifles Regiment had taken the village of Nore en bassin the farthest point in of the entire Allied advance. And soon after, John was given his sergeant stripes. The very first thing he did once they were on his sleeve was to take some dirt and rub on them, which sounds disparaging, but you don't want to be a target for a sniper. The steady march to the Rhine is kept up by units of... His regiment fought through Normandy, Belgium and the Netherlands before the final push into Germany, with John refusing to reveal a painful injury until the war was over. I had some shrapnel in my foot, shrapnel, but I never reported before because I didn't want to leave. Every year he's laid a cross on Remembrance Day for the Regina Rifles and his friends that never came home. He's never considered himself a hero, just lucky because he was able to return. My thinking all the time was I'd do my duty, not, not considering myself. This is the celebration Helen wanted for her hero, even if John doesn't like all the attention. I don't want any kind of a big show. I knew they didn't listen. Ignoring the sergeant's orders, maybe he'll let it slide just this one year. Jay Durant, Global News. Thank you for your service, John. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you want to share, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc@globalnews.ca. Happy to share great stories like that. That's all the time we have. Thanks very much for watching, everyone.